Hello and welcome to Outward, Slate's most happily queer infested podcast. I'm Ryan Lauder, an editor at Slate. We're back this week with another round of advice for all of our beloved LGBTQDs out there. Thanks to those of you who sent in letters. That was really great to see in our inbox this week. Listeners, please follow that example and send us more. We're going to be doing this regularly. So the more of your problems, whether they're low stakes or high drama that we get, the more useful and maybe sometimes even entertaining. I don't know. This will be. As always, we love to hear your voices. Uh, so send voice memos uh, if you can. But letters are also OK. Send those to Outward Podcast at Slate.com. Okay, today I'm joined by two excellent co-advisors. Uh, the first is Danny Lavery, who you already know, but just in case, was Slate's Dear Prudence from 2016 to 2021, and just generally a sage about the internet, I would say. And we also have my wonderful Slate audio colleague and writer, Madeleine Ducharme, who is a producer on Slate's excellent daily news show, What Next. If you're not listening to What Next, go subscribe to that right now. Hey, everybody, how are you doing? I'm good. It's snowing. It's beautiful out. It is snowing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a longtime listener of both Outward and Slate's advice podcasts and the advice yes. universe. So I'm excited. <laughs> the to advice be here. universe. Yeah. <laughs> Danny, how are you? I'm doing great. I also uh, like I feel like the last couple of years, every year we get snow later in the yeah. season. And so it was such a just relief to be like, OK, this isn't the first winter with no snow which is a, a line I'm sure we'll cross soon, but it's nice to know that it's not going to be this year. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. No, there's something, there's something kind of soothing to my, you know, climate change anxiety or whatever, depression, whatever that's called to see, to see this at least for one day. Maybe that snow spirit will inflect the tone of the podcast today with a little lightness and glittery beauty. Mm -hmm. Sparkle. <laughs> Sparkle, a little sparkle. That's what we need. Well, I think it's time for us to get into these letters. We've got a pretty interesting set today. Some of them are kind of thorny. Some of them are, are not. And one's kind of like this brief but philosophical query. So I'm excited to talk with y'all about that. We will dig into all of those right after the break. Welcome back. We're here for a Outward Advice episode. We're going to jump right into our first question, which comes to us from Facial Faux Pas. Hi, Outward team. I've never been the best with recalling names and faces, but have typically managed just fine until very recently. A couple of years ago, I got a less common facial piercing and suddenly stand out from a crowd considerably more than I had grown used to. On top of this, the subcultures and groups I participate in are fairly niche, but with large and interconnected audience. Lots of friends of friends of friends, and a few enemies, but that's neither here nor there. I keep getting into trouble <laughs> with my inability to recognize people I have had half a conversation with one time six months ago. I can all relate to that. But they still greet me by name when we bump into each other again, again because of that piercing. Any tips for remembering names and faces better, or at least graceful ways to ask someone to remind you their name for the third time in as many years. Thanks. I just want to start by saying we chose this question. I know it's not exactly like a queer question, but I do think this issue can come up in queer circles more often because they are smaller, right? And these this sort of subcultures that the letter writer describes, I think could be thought of as, as queer. Some of those are probably queer. It certainly happens to me with like gay guys all the time. Yeah. So anyway, what do, you, what, do you, what do you guys, what do y'all think about uh, this question? Question. I just very much like the idea that there are straight ways to forget someone's name and gay ways to forget. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's broadly true. And like, similarly, especially if you're in a number of small, uh, like niche 
niche uh, subgroups, there's maybe more of an expectation of emotional intimacy. And so Mm. a sort of like, I'm at my corporate job and there's a sort of like presumed heterosexual culture washing over all of us. It's, you know, no one's favorite to be asked for their name, but it's understood. Whereas like this person I like see at board game night twice a year really thinks of me as family. And so I have to tread carefully. Yeah. The facial piercing thing is funny because I think like in a lot of queer spaces, it would just make you further fit into the crowd. So I'm like, (laughs) what are you piercing? Like which part of your face? But, um, one thing that I noticed about this is that this person seems to have a very active social life. And I was like, hell yeah, you go. That's awesome. And I think one thing that sort of rarely has failed me in the social context of not remembering someone's name is that you bring over somebody who you do know the name of and you introduce them nine out nine out of ten times that person whose name you can't remember will say oh hey it's so good to meet you i'm ta-da there's a name um sometimes they don't though so you got to be ready for when that happens and you it can be weird but um in terms of remembering people's names and faces better i don't really know if they're if i have a good go-to like tactic or strategy i was thinking often at certain kinds of press events the publicist will give you like a sheet with everyone who's going to be there at least everyone important who's going to be there their faces and their names i often find myself like wanting that Mm. at at Mm -hmm. parties i i I suffer from this so much like I, i really just have a very bad memory for for faces um and so you're not going to be given that i mean what i thought when reading this was like a lot of people struggle with this to some degree, and I think they're maybe not as upset by it as the letter writer is thinking. I hope not. Like, I hope people are, are not so wrapped up in their, you know, in their needing to be called by their names all the time uh, to get upset about this. So maybe, you know, be less hard on yourself, I would say. Um, I let, Madeline, what you said is so true. The eavesdropping or like the asking someone else, the, the little triangulation you described, I think is, I do that often. I think it's it can be really helpful. Um, but you know, if you get, I was trying to think of kind of like a script, uh, when you get to that moment where there's just no other, uh, way to get around it, I really think it's okay to be like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I know we've met, um, but I'm just blanking on your name. Could you, could you please remind me? I I think that's fine. Like most people are going to be happy to tell you their name or not going to hold a grudge. I don't think just be honest. And maybe, you know, to what Danny was saying, like that, the emotional, the presumed emotional intimacy of some of these spaces, some of them queer spaces, maybe allows for a little more honesty about about <laughs> like failings. I, I don't know. Do you think you could study up on Instagram before you go too? Sometimes you know if there are photos from like the last gathering, just like doing a quick search and yeah. looking at. People can be annoying about their usernames though, especially queers. Oh, queers are all God. like, my username is fresh boiled eggs and you're like there, that's not your name there are so many people who whose like instagram handle is their name in my mind and it's like nope that's not yes right. that's not that's not actually their names i uh, can't say that uh, out loud yeah i guess you could i don't know danny do you, do you have any like practical thoughts about this i i think so yeah so it wasn't totally clear to me if this was all happening at like social mm. gatherings or if mm. they were bumping into people on the street so i agree if this is like at a friend's get together, absolutely ask your friend before you head over. Remind me of, you know, X, Y, or Z people. I think I would have either one of two suggestions. One is, this can sound a little bit goofy, but like if you keep Mm -hmm. a little 
cursory diary and just happened to like sketch down. It could also be interesting to revisit later, like a a, a cool diary of people you bump into and just do something quick, like saw this person, they know that person, (laughs) they were wearing a green coat. Obviously, don't go Harriet the Spy and like start recording like unpleasant personal characteristics. (laughs) Um, But uh, you know, that's one possibility, especially if you're just hoping to sort of strengthen your memory for faces and people. It won't be perfect necessarily, but it, it'll help to sort of embed those grooves into your memory better. The other, I think, is either you can just have a pleasant conversation if you see someone like waiting for the bus for a few minutes and don't worry about getting their name. Um, the other sure. is if you are going to ask, I would say do it right away. Yeah. Don't do it halfway through the conversation. Because again, like we've yes. all been saying, none of this is a huge deal, but you also, it is possible, even if someone's really reasonable, to feel a little bit slighted mm-hmm. if, if they think mm-hmm. you don't think I'm memorable. So I understand why you feel it's important, even though you're aware it's not like a mortal insult. Um, do it Im- immediately. And keep your apology brief because yeah. I think yeah. it, people are maybe inclined to do a big song and dance of like, I really apologize because what they want to communicate is, I'm really sorry. It's not your fault. It's not that you're not memorable. But the longer it gets, the more it can feel sort of like unintentionally diva-ish. Like, oh, darling, I just can't be bothered <laughs> to remember these things. It's like, remember uh, that character in Bleak House uh, who's always saying, I'm a child in such matters. Yeah. And so uh, you just run the risk of sounding a little bit um, like, don't expect me to remember your name. I simply can't. Again, so I just say like, I'm so sorry, would you remind me your name? A- and don't go into details about how hard faces are for you. Because I think right. someone would just feel a lot easier about, great, we're having a quick back and forth. Yeah, yeah. You're not going into great detail about the like Blanche Dubois weaknesses of your mind, <laughs> where you must be like born aloft on a litter and like reminded constantly. And I do think that the fact that this person wrote in means that they have this self-awareness about this. And I kind of think it might like yeah. in part solve the problem. Like you'll just pay closer attention because you're aware of the fact that this is a problem for you, so much so that you wrote in yeah. to strangers yeah. <laughs> to ask for Yeah, don't over-apologize um, or over-explain. Just say, I'm yeah. so sorry, would you remind me your name? And then carry on with the conversation and be friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, facial faux pas. Um, you are not a child in such matters. Uh, I, I love this uh, this idea of a little diary. I think I might take that up myself that's that's all it sounds kind of sexy to like have that around it's very like um gilded age like that tv show it just seems like the kind of thing that they would do (laughs) no i I love that i love that idea yeah and like just calling it like my encounters yeah my encounters (laughs) that's great that's a great idea danny thank you all right madeline do you want to share our next letter with us sure absolutely this one is a little bit heavier so bear with us because it's it's a little bit harder Dear esteemed panel of judges, which is a funny way to address Outward, (laughs) but also dear Outward podcast, I'm a 30-something lesbian who grew up in an abusive household. I'm estranged from my parents and some of my siblings and only came out to three members of my family. Beyond the desire never to talk to or see either of my parents again, on some petty level, I feel like they don't deserve to know anything about my life as it is now. I'm very proud of overcoming the first two decades of my life and feel immensely blessed with the life I'm able to lead now. Whenever people ask about my parents, I'm quite upfront about the fact that I don't talk to them. If there are follow-up questions, I simply explain that they are bad people and I'm at peace without them in my life. If people keep pushing and I'm not comfortable disclosing my past, I sometimes lie and say that it's because they're homophobic. This needless prying only ever comes from heterosexual tone-deaf people who quickly change the subject after gayness comes up, which is perfect. I feel very emotionally conflicted about this lie, and I don't want to appropriate the unique trauma of being rejected or abandoned for your queer identity. 
Should I just lie and tell people that my parents are deceased? I worried that any starter lie, like are they like they are dead or I still talk to them, will create a continuous need for subterfuge. Subterfuge, good word use. <laughs> I also don't want to offend people and found the more people pride, the worse they take the request to back the F off. Even after therapy and distance, just talking about my parents still kicks off a stress response in my nervous system that makes it hard to think straight in these uncomfortable moments. Basically, my question is, does this make me a bad person? And do I need to stop using this crutch lie from the parent trap? Ooh. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Because it took me a minute to totally understand what was happening in this letter. So I just want to um, maybe pull out a few things for listeners. Um the lie is, you know, the, the letter writer does not speak to their parents, doesn't want to talk about their parents. People are asking about their parents or just asking about, you know, your family. And they have been lying, saying that the reason they don't talk is homophobia when, in fact, it was just abuse. Like, it wasn't homophobia, per se, that was happening. Right. Uh, but it was... Because it was, they weren't out. They weren't out yet. They weren't out. But also, it's interesting that it's the, the lie only comes up a couple of degrees in. Yeah. So somebody will say, what are your parents like? Oh, I don't talk to them. Oh, why don't you talk to them? They're bad people. Oh, how are they bad people? And then the lie comes up. So the, it takes a little bit of time to get there in terms of how they're breaking this down. Yeah. My first reaction when I read this is the idea of swapping in this they are dead starter lie <laughs> is a bad idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't do that. I think that is going to beget more questions. Yeah. It almost always does. And I say that as somebody who's uh, one of my parents died when I was 18. And so all it does is beget questions. Um and then you're going to end up spiraling out and you're going to feel the stress response and then you're going to get it's, it's not a good idea. So don't do that. I could picture I, I feel the same way. It was, you know, I was like, if, if homophobia as the lie is making you feel bad or icky, I was like, I don't think death is going to no. make you feel better. And <laughs> it's worse. as you just said, it sets up this possibility for some kind of like curb your enthusiasm spiral of just like ridiculousness. Like I, I can just see that going in so many bad directions. So I don't think you want to substitute that in. Curious to hear what y'all think, but I, I don't know that we want a lie at all. I think we want to move away from the lying, but what do you think, Dan? Yeah, um, I, I kind of wish I knew a little bit more about, like, is this coming up when people are, like, broadly talking about family at work or, like, making small talk at a party or friends of friends? Because in some of those situations, my advice would be not to share the fact that you're estranged from your family. Um, yeah. Cert certainly, I can appreciate that it is not appropriate or polite of people to like continue asking follow up questions when you're sort of making it clear you don't want to go into detail. But I also want to be easy on these people. Um, right. For better or for worse, people's family is a part of small talk conversation in a lot of contexts. And it's, you know, it's still a big ticket item, family estrangement. And so people are naturally curious when they hear about it. Again, that doesn't mean every question anybody asks you is like reasonable or that you're, uh, you know, doing something wrong. I just think that um, it's a lot to ask someone you don't know very well to handle. Um, yeah. So, I, for example, I don't bring up the fact that I'm estranged from my family in plenty of small talk conversations. If family is coming up, um, I will either... You know, it's it's not that often that people will say directly to me, like, you know, where's your sister today? But I, I might certainly just say whatever's quickest. Like, I, I wouldn't out and out lie. But if someone asks me how many siblings I have, I'll say two. I don't say two, but we don't speak. Um, right. Yeah. Just it, yeah. Again, like, that's a lot of pressure to put on a light social 
tie. And so I think the way that might help you to reframe some of this is to think about how can I make this conversation easier for the person I'm talking to instead of getting an antagonistic sense of this person's trying to pry something out of me. And so just think, what's the truest thing I could say that would place the least amount of burden on you. So I think maybe to that and if it comes up in such a way where it's totally unavoidable, I would maybe just say something like, you know, we're actually not close, but and then kind of try to move on to the next part of the conversation and don't go into detail about it. Don't make it sound like there's some big dark secret behind it. Just sort of like, you know, um, we're pretty scattered. or I come from a pretty small family or just um, we're not we're not in a ton of contact. But and then whatever else you're talking about, kind of lean into that so that there's just a sort of gentle shepherding away rather than we don't talk, but don't ask me any questions, which again is an understandable desire. I, I don't mean to make it sound like that's too much, but it is. It's a lot. It's tough. Yeah. Um, I do think it's, you made a good point, Danny, which is that I think the people who are asking more questions are worried about appearing callous. Yes. They don't just want to move on after you've said something that is, that's like, I think bums them out and makes them feel bad for you. You know, I think like somebody hears, oh, you're estranged. And if someone, if, if I were to say, oh, I'm estranged from this family member mm-hmm. and the other person were to just be like, oh, cool, moving on. <laughs> like, that would also probably feel kind of bad. Right. Um, and I think that these people are trying to be generous with you and they're trying not to be um, callous. So maybe that reframing can help. The other thing is, is that back to the question of the uh, appropriation of a specific kind of trauma, I do think this person's not being um, gentle enough with themselves and like tender, tender enough with themselves about the things that they've lived through. They seem to be really proud of all they've overcome. And I actually, yeah. Yeah. And I actually think that you shouldn't worry that the, the trauma you gesture towards that like does the job that, you know, ends the conversation in the way that you want to is not exactly precisely your trauma. Like, I don't really think that that's a huge deal. Um, So if you want to keep doing this little lie to get people to stop talking at the you know point that you're describing it coming up, I, I, think that's like morally fine. I think we all do like weird lies to uh, move along in our day. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're using it for. And you also did live through something really hard. And so I don't think you should dismiss that. But yeah. maybe you guys, maybe you both disagree. I don't know. No, no, I think. And, you know, I mean, one thought I had was like literally homophobia wasn't necessarily a part of that decision, but it probably it seems like likely that it would have been like, like, if, yeah. they, if like, I, I don't know, you know, but it seems unlikely that Family members described here as as abusive. We don't have all the details, of course, we, but I don't think we need them. I think it's prob- likely that they would also be homophobic, right? I don't think that you're like appropriating too far, yeah. letter writer. I I love what you you've both said because I think I approached this. I, I was going to say something to the effect of like the people doing this are really rude to you, but actually I'm convinced by the idea that they're most likely trying to be gentle and generous, trying to like not feel callous towards your letter writer, your experience. So that that is a helpful reframing. I do think, though, if you try all of the great ideas that Danny and Madeline have shared, and people still keep pressing, I think it is okay to get to like a place of, I appreciate your interest, but I don't want to talk about this anymore. Yeah, um, you can shut it down, right? Like if somebody's really being nosy, and it doesn't feel genuine, uh, in the way that y'all have been talking about, I think having that language is also fine. And just to reiterate, I think not giving any 
points of curiosity will help with this. So yeah, saying that they are bad people is a point of curiosity, right? That makes me want to know in what way are they like, so yeah. it's not that that's your fault, but it's just something to think about keeping, and Danny said this, keeping it as like kind of flat as possible will probably reduce the number of times people are, are, are trying to dig and help you get away from these conversations faster. You know, keep it boring, right? <laughs> to be clear, if somebody says, I'm estranged from my family, the pol- and it's not someone you know very well, the polite thing is just to say some variation of, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, and, and yeah. like l- allow the conversation to keep moving. Totally. Um, so to be clear, I don't want to say like, oh, yeah, what they're doing is great. But I think of it as a little bit like, because these are clearly not close friends. These are people that you don't know very well. Yeah. yeah. Right. When you don't know someone very well, there's only so many rules that govern polite and appropriate conversation. And when you introduce something like family estrangement, it's it's a little bit like everyone is now in the deep end and they don't mm-hmm. really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So again, that doesn't mean you've done something wrong. You're just acknowledging the truth. You didn't invent the idea of family estrangement. But I do think it really helps to think like what they're trying to do in that conversation is get back to politeness and safety and agreement. And so what they're trying to do is is acknowledge, like, I'm really sorry. If I were estranged from my family, I would feel really sad. I would want something that could recuperate it. Like, maybe things will get better someday. Or maybe, like, again, if they had some time to think it through, they probably wouldn't say those things because they'd realize, like, actually implying that maybe someday uh, it'll get better or you'll realize you've misunderstood something kind of makes you seem like a fool. Um, but they're just trying to get to a place where things feel safe and nice. Um, and so don't, don't put them into this place where, you know, they can't swim. Um, and so do what you have to, to keep them in the shallow end, which is, again, that's what polite conversation is for is to stay in the shallow end for this very reason, because it is difficult to talk about huge, you know, big ticket items unless you know someone pretty well. Yeah. I think just like, you know, we don't happen to be close, but I've got some really wonderful friends in the city and we have wonderful Mm -hmm. holiday traditions. And actually maybe you met one of them, Mark, you know, uh, we, we get together every weekend and now you're safe again because you're talking about people you like and you can move back into that all right parent trap i think that is some good advice we hope it's helpful and now we're going to take a break but we'll be right back with questions after that all right welcome back we are here doing an outward advice episode and we're on to the next question All right. So this next one is a three-year-old post to uh, the relationship advice subreddit. So whatever this original person decided to do has long since happened. Um, But we just get to sort of interestingly speculate, which is always fun. Uh, The subject is, overheard my stepdaughter talking to her friends about being queer. Would like to express support without letting her know I've heard. Title pretty much covers it. My tween stepdaughter was hanging out with some friends a couple of weeks ago and was talking to them about a girl she liked at school. She's not come out to anyone in the family, and I've not told anyone, and don't intend to. I would love to be able to express to her that we of course love her no matter who she loves, but I'm not exactly subtle most of the time. So has anyone had a similar experience? Maybe someone wished they'd heard something from their parents before coming out, maybe don't say anything at all, and it's just business as usual. Just interested to know how others might approach this. Thanks. And then there's an edit at the bottom that says, I really appreciate all the thoughtful answers. It's given me some confidence in moving forward. Consensus is to just wait until she's ready while being mindful of my own language and actions in the meantime. Thanks. That's really sweet. 
Yeah, this is so sweet. (laughs) This This is is so so sweet. sweet. It comes up so much in um, one of the things I do at Slate is edit some of Karen feeding our parenting advice column. And this situation has come up a number of times and it's always so sweet to hear a parent wanting to do the right thing, right? Like, and and being sensitive to that. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Madeline, what what do you think about it? Okay, one, I really liked self-awareness of this person of this person who wrote <laughs> said i'm yeah. not exactly <laughs> subtle most of the time um because i do think somebody who is not subtle but didn't have that self-awareness would have immediately been like you got any crushes <laughs> you know boys yes. or perhaps girls <laughs> you know and and so i'm glad that they have that self-awareness um i also would say that like the the thing that this gives you is just time to prepare for the conversation when the tween stepdaughter does want to have it. And I think that that's a really, that's a huge blessing because I think a lot of parents don't have that. And then what happens is you end up reacting and responding in real time in a way that like maybe is, you know, even if somebody is not a like raging bigot, they can make weird faces or respond in weird ways. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I think like, if somebody is in this situation, they have been given like a little gift that is a ton of time to be thoughtful about this. And maybe even talk to, um, you know, queer friends to say like, what do you, what's like, what, what's the thing that you wanted to hear in your coming out conversation? I, you know, have like, uh, I want to make sure I do this right. If any of my kids, any of my stepkids ever come out, you don't need to mention any of this thing that you heard. Just like, it, it's a way to like start gathering data and gathering the like, not right phrases, but the, the things that are going to be gentle and thoughtful and tender. So yeah, obviously wait, but, um, but build your little arsenal of I love, love that idea. I'm just thinking about what it what it is like to be I'm trying to put myself back, you know, in in the headspace before I came out to my parents and even if your parents are are sort of politically, you know, in the right uh, area to be to seem like they'd be supportive or whatever, being in that in that I don't even call it a closet exactly, but like in that headspace before you decide to share that information, things can just seem really scary and you can be very like on guard and and even like positive gestures or gestures intended to be positive, I think could read as as upsetting or, or, or threatening or something because you're in this, it's a private thing for a while, right? And you're still figuring it out. So I would be wary of like even, you know, you can imagine someone suddenly buying like, I don't know, rainbow paper towels or something like in the house just to, to like start signaling that like <laughs> oh like yeah like i don't I, do I that resist that urge resist the urge to like put on you know love simon every night right like that that i think is just gonna it, i mean maybe there's some i'm sure there are some tweens that would respond well to that but i think a lot of people are going to find that like confronting even though it's intended they're gonna make it they're going to feel like they've been found out. Yeah. Right? And you don't, I don't think you want to make it feel like a, a, exactly like a, like a, a dirty secret in any way. And so that's why it's important to wait. And, and yeah, I love this idea of sort of preparing yourself so that you're ready to have that conversation with as much information and, and sort of co- self comfort uh, as possible. Uh, yeah. But you, you know, this is so lovely that the, the Reddit poster is asking this because I think, uh, yeah, th- they're going to be in such a great position. Yeah. I think this is really this lovely. I think the only thing that I would add is the possibility that 
this is only a possibility, but if this was a, a conversation that your stepdaughter was having in the house, it doesn't sound like the step parent was like reading their text messages or like listening in on a, on a call like made outside mm-hmm. the house, you know, consciously or not. It's possible that she brought this up because she sort of wanted to be overheard um, as a sort of way of just like testing the waters or like not being afraid to talk about it kind of semi openly in the house. Again, that doesn't mean you should go say, hey, I heard what you said. Just like it it sounds like she's at least on some level trying to sort of test the waters of if I talk about being queer in the house, like how does that feel? Um, And so to that end, again, I agree. I don't think like. It never makes anyone feel great to hear, I overheard your phone call and I have some thoughts. And it's okay that it's not always going to be subtle because some of just like letting a pre-teenager know that like you'd be cool if they came out to you is like, of course, that's going to be a little corny no matter how you phrase it. But I think to just, again, don't single her out, especially if there's other kids in the house, but to just to like slightly more often mention like the existence of queer people that you know, or, you know, as you discuss something, the possibility of, you know, and some people like men and some people like women and some people like both. And sometimes there's yeah. more than that. <laughs> Again, like it will sound cheesy. It will sound like an after school yeah. special. That's fine. Um, but, but just to generally sort of make it known, like I think about queer people. If you bring it up to me, you will not be the first time someone has ever mentioned yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think about this independently and positively. Uh, right. And don't do it more than like, I don't know once Mm -hmm. a month (laughs) yeah i think that's i think that's really good advice let's move to our final question which is a very brief one but perhaps a profound one i don't i don't know i was just kind of amused by it so i thought i thought we could take a crack dear outward why do gay men marry and have kids (laughs) and this is from simple and free uh, so that may- maybe says something about the letter writer's position. Why do gay men marry and have kids? I think we can expand that to queer people if we want. I don't think it has to be just about gay men. But why do we marry and have kids? I have some thoughts, but please jump in. <laughs> <laughs> just, I was just thinking, like, we certainely could expand it. But the sort of like, because I, I obviously read in a lot to this because there's only so much to read, um, especially with simple and free. The implication I got was sort of like, well, of course, like gay women may have kids because that's what women want to do. It's natural. It's normal. Women want to have kids, whether they're gay or straight. But men don't have to and frankly shouldn't really want to. And if you have two men, that should be like almost zero desire for kids. There's no women around the place making you do it. So why bother? Uh, and I also, if I were to read a little further, I would wonder if somebody's ex had recently married someone and had a kid and they were feeling a little betrayed. Yeah, a little bit of like I thought we were all gonna do like cool, fun stuff yeah. together, simple and free. And simple everyone, and free. Yeah, and now a bunch of men are marrying and having kids with other men. They might as well be straight. Why am I being left uh, behind again? Possibly that's not all that's going on. <laughs> Certainly possible it's someone incredibly homophobic and not also gay. Uh, but that that was my sort of read. I love the backstory. Yeah, I I think the sim- the simple and free made me think that it was not uh, just a, a troll. I think that, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was like a question from someone living a different lifestyle who is uh, in the community, but concerned. I wanted to answer, you know, two parts, not just not just have kids, but marry first. So I thought we should address that. I mean, (laughs) in my experience, it is, of course, somewhat about love. But I think a lot of people are doing it in our community because we live in a system where legal and economic benefits and protections accrue to marriage that are difficult to pass up. And for better or worse, it just makes sense. So we have talked for decades about that, and we could talk about it for a long time here. But I think that is one reason or a, a big reason of why gay men are getting married. The kids part, 
<laughs> um, you know, I, I, on a, as a personal note, I think one great thing about being gay is that it was not until recently expected and not, and it's not very easy for me to have kids. And I'm happy with that. Like that is something that I do enjoy about being gay, but obviously many gay couples that I know personally find great joy in child rearing, just like straight people do. They just want to have a certain kind of family life, right? Like, and they should be allowed to have it. Um, and I don't know, like earlier in, in my youth, I would have maybe brought in like the scary word assimilation into this or something. At this point, I think, I don't know. I, I just think people should be able to do what they want, you know? <laughs> like, I, I think I've kind of let, I've let that go. Um, and I don't think anybody is wrong for wanting to do that, to, to have children. You know, adoption seems noble to me if you do want that, but whatever, it's not really my business. And people like to have families, you know, some of us, some of us do enjoy being simple and free and and living that life. But a lot of people find great meaning in family. I don't know. So what's interesting is that like, marry and have kids is sort of like one word here. It's sort of one action, marry and have kids. But <laughs> I almost think it's like you did, Brian, useful to break down the like discrete parts. One, marrying I also think people like to throw parties. Yeah. I think people like to have a big, big party that is all about them, them <laughs> and all about their love and how profound it is and how nobody's ever loved in the way that they've loved before. I um, think that that's sweet and special. <laughs> and sometimes marrying is as much about the like legal economic benefits and also about the I want to have a day of attention about our love. Like, that's really fun. This is the socially acceptable way to do it. You can't really force, like, 150 people (laughs) that are close to you to, like, recognize your love to this degree, where they all dress up and drink nice champagne and travel very far. Like, it's this is the way to do that. Um, And it's completely socially acceptable, and you don't sound crazy for asking for that. So that's one One thing. People want to throw a party. And gay people love to throw parties. We're very good at it. That is true. It makes sense that that we would want to have parties. Um, In terms of having kids... This is interesting because it makes it sound like the kids always follow the marriage. And that's not true. A lot of people have children and then they end up gay married. And then they're gay parents. And they maybe didn't realize that they were going to be when they first had children. I've seen statistics before about queer parenthood in the U.S. And actually the states with the like largest amount of queer parents per capita or whatever are in the South. And it's a lot of people who marry young and then get divorced and then have children from their first marriages and end up, you know, in queer relationships with children. And so maybe that's how they end up having kids. I also think the idea that like, it's like marry and then have kids excludes the like existence of people who raise children as part of a community. And like, Mm-hmm. that's actually a way to live your simple and free lifestyle while also having kids. So I think this person, <laughs> it's possible that the simple and free is not necessarily shade. Maybe it's somebody who can't foresee a future where they can have these things and still be simple and free. But I do think lots of people do it. I feel like Dan Savage has made an entire career about being simple and free mm-hmm. and also being married and having kids. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's possible. I don't know. My uh, my girlfriend lives next door to this couple. At least I, th- I think they're a couple, but they also seem to have, there's sometimes like four or five 
adult men that kind of come and go from this house, as far as I've seen, just observing. And they have two very small children. And it seems that they are all taking care of them. That's wonderful. Yeah. it's. I think that, like, there are ways to be married. There are ways to have kids that are some completely different than the, like, marry and have kids, like, single word, single action thing yeah. that we're describing yeah, you're here. Right. So that was my response to it. Perhaps a bit more generous than... uh than <laughs> the way you two read it, which was about... Mine wasn't generous at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, mine was rude. <laughs> um, all right, is that all, about all we have to say? For I that think one? so. I think, to me, this one yeah. just felt sort of like the implied thing was because they don't have to. As if the only reason anyone does this kind of thing is because they've been brainwashed by society. Right. Uh, and therefore right, right. It's or biology. Like, <laughs> and bio- yeah. biologically married. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It's 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 worth giving some thought to. Most people eventually do. Not everyone, but most people do. So, like, have some curiosity about like a thing that most people do at some point in their lives. Like, maybe maybe there's like meaningful levels of like desire and values wrapped up in it. Doesn't mean you have to like it or approve of it or think they ought to be doing it. Just like it's always a little bit defensive when somebody tries to describe something that's very common in we- like do you remember like when there was like a sort of very online contingent of like vocally child free people who would refer to like yes. babies and children as like crotch fruit or just Ew. like the most yeah. like gross or, or like reductive par- way. <laughs> and it's just sort of like all right man that sounds pretty defensive it sounds like you yeah, really want to try to like make something that a lot of people do for meaningful reasons sound nuts. Yeah. Good luck to you, but uh, I I don't think it's going to catch on. Um, (laughs) Not least because it's like, what makes adults different from children? It's just that time has passed. You yourself are still this thing. Former child. It's just such a weird... (laughs) Former child, yeah. yeah. People hate kids. People hate kids, and it's really sad. Yeah, it bumps me out. Not that that means you then have to have them or raise them. Just like find a way to talk about not wanting to have children and experiencing social pressure that does not put the blame on children. It's like the children aren't the one being weird to you about getting married and having kids. They're just trying to be alive, (laughs) and they have no power. So like, be nice about them. Be nice. It's true. That's true. I also think that the question of why, because they want to. That's why. I think it's funny, um, Danny, you basically, you made the case that lots of people are thinking about why these things happen, um, like this letter writer. But I also think a lot of people just do these things and never once think, why would I want to do this? They just do it. And that's also wonderful. And I think with a growing queer population, you're going to get more people who uh, don't think too hard about their queer life. And they just do the things that They've always thought they were going to do in life, and they don't think about what it means to be queer and doing those things. They just do them. And that's beautiful to me. I think that's great. I love not thinking about things. Yeah. <laughs> love not thinking about things, which in a way sounds simple and free. Simple and free. We hope that, you know, assuage some of your curiosity about this, uh, and we hope you continue being simple and free if that's what you want to do. Or have a child if that's what you want to do. Uh, you can write back to us and let us know. 
that is all the time we have for advice today, but it's so much fun. We are going to be doing it more often, probably monthly. So please send us your questions. We need them. We want to hear directly from you. So send those again via voice memo or email to outwardpodcast at slate.com. You can always send us feedback or topic ideas at outwardpodcast at slate.com or via Facebook or X at Slate Outward. Just a reminder, as always, that by joining Slate Plus, you'll get ad-free podcasts, extra segments on shows like Working, and you will never, ever hit a paywall on the Slate site. To learn more about that, you can go to slate.com slash Outward Plus. Our show was produced by Palace Shaw, the wonderful Palace Shaw. If you like Outward, please subscribe in your podcast app. Tell everybody about it, friends, family, lovers, children, so that they can rate and review the show uh, and others can find it. For now, that's it. Bye, Danny. Thanks so much. Bye, Madeline. Thank you all so much for being here. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Danny. Stay gay, everybody.